Mac Power Users, episode 221 with Ali Chirp. everyone, it's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. Hi, how are you, Katie Floyd? I'm great, David. How are you? Oh, I can't complain. Uh, we've been talking about academics a lot on the show lately, and we covered it from the student perspective recently. And we thought, you know what, let's go to the other side of the fence and have an academic on it. I couldn't think of anyone better than Alec. Uh, Alec, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, everybody, Alec is a, a professor of environmental and energy studies at the Central European University in Hungary and the uh, Lund University in Sweden. And he also publishes the Macademic website. So Macademic.com, which I've always kind of found myself going to. You do some great stuff there, Alec. It, it, thank you so much. It's dot, dot .org, actually. Oh, is it dot .org? I thought it yeah, was dot yes, .com. Okay, well. We'll have it right in the show notes. Yeah. But um, but so he's been talking and writing about this for some time, and we thought it would be a lot of fun to have uh, someone from Alex's position talk about how he's using technology to get things done. But before we get started, we all agree we're going to take five minutes, and I'm looking at the clock right now. Uh, we're going to get five minutes to the latest Apple announcements, and we know we're not a new show. And when this thing publishes, the uh, the iPad and written iMac announcement will be about a week old. But I thought we should just at least weigh in on it a little bit. Uh, Katie, what'd you think of this new iPad? Meh. Yeah. <laughs> well, you bought one last year, right? Yeah, I did. Um, and I'm an iPad mini person. And so I was pretty disappointed with the lack of attention that the iPad mini got in this announcement. It pretty much was, hey, oh, hey, by the way, we updated the iPad mini in absolutely no other way other than we gave it Touch ID and a little bit of a pro, uh, a bump in, in some size capacity. But other than that, here here's the brand new thinner and gold iPad 2. No, I, the iPad itself is the iPad Air 2 uh, is is very impressive, but I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in the way that the iPad mini has been relegated to second class citizen status. And I'm afraid this may this may be the step towards obsolescence and the iPad mini going uh, going away in favor of the, the iPhone plus. Yeah, I thought that may be a possible reason. It's interesting because last year we had parity. Both devices were essentially the same device, but with different size screens. And now we don't. And even the improvements to the iPad Air are nice. And I think it's a great reason to upgrade if you're probably on anything before an iPad Air. But if you have the existing iPad Air, I'm not sure if it's it's worth the upgrade. And, you know, the iPad really is the device you own for a couple of years. I'm not sure. It's like, like the phones you're tempted every year to upgrade. Uh, that's not necessarily true with the iPad Air 2. And, of course, now the uh, the lawnmowers of the neighborhood are starting up. Uh, all right, yeah. well. <laughs> okay, and then one other thing. Let's talk about the um, the iMac with Retina screen. And to me, that is a very interesting device. You know, it's, um, it's the first time that I've, I've actually been tempted to maybe look at a desktop as my main Mac. Now, that's probably not going to happen for me for the next couple of years, especially now that I'm in school. And, and we'll talk about a little bit that, I think, more in this episode. But uh, with, with the iPads becoming so powerful... I can see a day perhaps where I become a, a powerful iMac at home and a pretty powerful iPad on the go person. And maybe I don't need a, a notebook as my, my travel Mac. And maybe the iPad satisfies a lot of those needs for me. We'll see. Well, you've got a separate desktop Mac at work where I use a laptop, both at home and work. So I, I definitely need a powerful laptop. But the uh, my daughter uses an iMac at home and a um, 
and a and an iPad Mini at school, and she's getting through university just fine with that setup. She really likes it. Um, but my only advice is if you're uh, don't go look at these if you're interested in one, unless you're willing to buy one, because I think that Retina screen on an iMac is going to be gorgeous, and I don't think we're going to get anything like that in an external monitor for a while because the the physics of the cabling. I, I just don't know that they can make. Uh, a chip and a cable fast enough to drive that many pixels in an external display for a year or two now. No, there's there's a lot of hardware specifically built into the computer component of of this Mac that drives that that screen. And so I, I think that's why we haven't seen this released as a standalone display is because your other Macs just aren't going to be able to, to power it yet. Yeah, well, I, I'm staying away from them for a while. <laughs> anyway, I guess that's enough. Uh, so, so let's get to why we're here today, and we wanted to talk to Alec about being a professor and what that means with respect to technology. Um, so, Alec, how long have you been on a Mac? Um, well, it's interesting. Uh, I've been on the Mac exactly from April 2009, and I say exactly because I guess that's when you you made your first uh, show. Yeah, it's and, funny. It and, was April. Yeah, and and uh, and then um, you know I didn't know what to do with this new Mac, um, and I just was frustrated with um, you know PCs that always uh, broke and uh, couldn't do anything on them, and then somebody suggested, well, there is this podcast, you know, Mac Power users, you should listen. And then the last oh, five really? years, even back at yeah. the beginning, that's awesome. Yeah, so that I, I from show one, and then you explained how you use email, I guess, and then I said, well, yeah, that makes sense, and <laughs> and 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 so it was. I was listening to you and trying to basically use all these ideas for academic work. I don't think I used so um, many other ideas, but I, I tweaked and adjusted them. I don't have time for many more podcasts, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, what what types of work are you doing on your Mac? I mean, I um, I, I really don't have a, a good understanding of what the workflows yeah. are for someone yeah. in your position. Well, academics, you know, if if you're a professor, you do two main things: one is teaching, and one is research. And on teaching, you basically, you know, you do lectures. You also work with students. You know, you interact with them. A lot of time digitally, you write them emails, etc. And then, you know, I teach graduate students only, and I have a number of doctoral students. So with them, you interact almost as a colleagues. So you, you know, you you teach them a lot, and you, you there is a lot of collaboration also. And on the research side, well, my research is more like social science research. That means a lot of data collection and a lot of writing, but it also involves, you know, presentations at conferences and stuff. And then, as you know, all of us working in large organizations, you have to do administration, so you know, websites and uh, and stuff like that. So, but this thing you, for academics is uh, teaching and research. What what made you decide to to move to the Mac platform? I I know in in is in general is academics moving more towards Mac? I, I know that I'm certainly seeing more Macs now. Uh, you know, as I've moved m- more into the to the academic side of of things, but. But I would say probably not quite yet predominantly, Max. Well, uh, it probably depends, um, you know, on, on the exact institution. But uh, I look at a new, you know, group of students every year coming in September. And I, I kind of look, there is more and more Max in the class. And now I think there are more Max than PCs. And all my colleagues, they, well, virtually all of them, they have Max. 
And it's so interesting because, you know, as David, as you one mentioned, you know, people have this, you know, shiny new Macs and then you look what they are doing and they, you know, doing something in Microsoft Word and PowerPoint. And that's it. Yeah. It's, it's, Maybe, it's, well, I think it's when you come up from the PC, a lot of times you just go with what you know. Exactly. And, um, exactly. and that's one of the goals of our show, frankly, well, is to show people the light, you know, exactly. for lack of a better word. Um, I, and you know what? Recently I was, um, you know, we are switching to a new computer system and, um, in this division of the university I'm working for. So we were talking with a provider and they can provide either Macs or PCs, but they say we frankly want to provide Macs because it's cheaper we and easier. Well, and that's so a new great, one. You exactly. have to explain that. How are they well, cheaper? Well, I, I can explain that because, you know, this company, they, uh, they are, you know, not on this stable university funding where the more, you know, hours you put, the more money you get. And they're interested in keeping a lot of people employed. And then you need PCs, right? Because, <laughs> you know, they maximize the number of people. But they, they have a different financial model where, you know, it's actually they're interested in doing the work effectively. And it's so much easier on Macs. And, um, yeah. yeah, that's something you, people don't consider often is that, you know, when you set up a Mac, it really is less... IT support, and if somebody knows what they're doing with it, they can actually be more productive on it. They don't have to spend as much time doing system maintenance. Yes, and they say, you know, with Mac, we know exactly what we are doing with PCs. You have to first of all, which kind of PC it is, and, you know, decide on what are the specifics of that particular model and stuff. How, how savvy are your students? Because that's something I'm curious about with the upcoming, you know, generation of students. Are they... Are they more interested in other alternatives in Microsoft Word than the professors are? Well, you see, I wouldn't say so. They are savvy in, you know, this social media. I think they have different psychologists about that and how they communicate. But, um, and this is something, you know, that's something which makes me excited about Mac is that you don't automatically, just because you're young, you don't automatically become savvier. It's not that you understand what is like Scrivener and, you know, text expander, etc. Yeah, you have to yeah. teach it. So I still have to teach them how to, you know, think differently in order to use Mac. Yeah. Because, you, because I think that, that no, this ahead. is... Yeah, okay. So because I think that this is um, a point with all of this, you know, very lovingly crafted applications is that people who make them, they teach us to like look at the world differently and it doesn't automatically come just to something you know technologically cool how open and receptive do your students seem versus perhaps some of your colleagues to they've already embraced the mac but perhaps embracing um, some of these alternate ways of of doing work on the mac you know using web-based tools versus you know, the typical word processor or using alternate word processors or alternate writing solutions rather than the standard, um, you know, office suites that they're perhaps used to. Yeah, there are a lot of them who use, um, you know, very easily things which, um, you know, we were very innovative five years ago, you know, like Google Docs and uh, they use, you know, a thing called Prezi for presentations, which is still fresher than you know, just PowerPoints. and. Um, um, a lot of them take notes on the computers and use a variety of applications. But I think, you know, Microsoft Word and this mentality that you can have one app for everything and it will be like overloaded with features is very tempting. So, yeah. um, 
And that's that feature list thing where people look at the list of features and they're like, well, that's the one I want because it's got more check boxes. And yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, who cares if the actual experience of working the app is dreadful? You know, it's got more checkboxes, so I need that. And and uh, I, I think that's something a lot of Mac users learn to ignore because I'm perfectly happy with an application that has limited functionality, but is but is a joy to use. Well, yeah, and it is specifically for this particular task. Yeah. Like a lot of students, they don't know that they need to do outlines. That's why they don't use Office Outliner, so yeah. Omni Outliner. You know, you have to first teaches them that, you know, you need to use outlines and then show the tool. Do you, do I'm, I mean, because you are, you're like me and Katie, you're a super geek, right? You you have a website about <laughs> no, it, right? So do you, do you find yourself tempted with your students to kind of educate them on technology as you, as you get started in the semester and try and say, well, these are some tools I would recommend you using? Yes. Oh, yes. That's my biggest sin. You know, somebody yeah. comes to me for an academic advice on the paper and I say, well, I'm not going to look at it before you rewrite it in Scrivener. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know and, what? I'm sure that Keith and the gang over at Literature and Latte have no problem with that. But I have to, you know, I'm probably a geek in the way that I, I really want people to use what's best for the tool. And sometimes I go overboard. So. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I, I, I really feel like with my daughter starting college, I have experienced that because I thought about what would be the best tool for her. And you know, do you think my parents that my parents didn't even have a clue about any of this stuff? I mean, you know, they're like, here's a box of number two pencils, right? You know, and, uh, <laughs> but uh, I like I like really weighed over it and I gave her these options. And, you know, we we tried notability and now she's really settled on Omni Outliner. But I mean, it's um. It's it's interesting, you know, is because you want them to use this stuff because you know how much easier it can be. So it's yes. hard not to. Yes. And you but see I it mean, every semester. And I have, you know, I'm very lucky to have, actually have, uh, you know, a bit of authority to to say, well, I'm your teacher, so I tell you what to use. Yeah. When you're the <laughs> dad, some, you don't have that much authority. Me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I have teenage daughters too, so I know that. Yeah. Um, okay. So... so what was the what made you finally look at switching to the Mac? And then let's talk a little bit about about your your Mac setup and, and the tools that that you're using. But what what flipped you? Because I it seems like you were a PC user up right up until 2009. What was the change? Did you use an iPhone first or? No, 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 no. It was actually one of my students. And it was, you know, one of the students, I a graduate student, I supervise and then um, you know, I noticed she was using Mac and she told me, well, I said, why do you use Mac? And she told me, well, if you use Mac, it's like you don't use the computer, you interact with the person. It's, well, yeah, she put it this way that with Mac, you interact as you interact with the person, not with the computer. I thought, well, that's interesting. And then a week later, my, you know, PC that I used just broke. So, and I had to replace it and I said, well, I'll try Mac. So, that was that was basically word of mouth. Somebody showing that it can work, and I used you know Microsoft products for the first you know couple of months, and then you guys through your show showed me the light. <laughs> I started to switch. So, yeah. uh, what what Mac did you did you start with, and are you using that same Mac now, or or have you oh, changed no, since no, then? No, not from two thousand nine. I'm not that patient. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I mean the same I, the same I style. Now, 
It is the same style. I need a notebook computer because I travel a lot. You know, I teach in two countries and um, and, and travel to a number of places. So um, I use now 15-inch MacBook Pro, which is about, it's with Retina, so it's about two years old. So well, you're going to have to get uh, a Retina yeah. next time. Alec. Well, it is it is retina. Oh, okay, it's, good. It is alright. Yeah, no, I, I also I, I heard you on on the show about retina, and that's why I decided <laughs> to buy it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, mine, um, mine's two years old and it's still going fine. I really like it. It's a good good computer. Yeah, it is. It is very good computer. I I wish I had a bit more memory. Yeah. So, uh, and then I I have um, in one of my offices I have very small extra screen. Which is almost like smaller, but still two screens are better. So I, I plug it into the screen to have to yeah. work with two documents. Yeah. Um, I then, used I tried MacBook Air that was just a bit too small for because it's my main computer. I need it. Yeah. Okay. And do you use iOS much? Um, I I use iPhone a lot. And I recently started to use iPad, really like what, months ago, and I love it. I have this iPad Air, and uh, I love it. It's you know on the planes, and uh, uh, I'm trying all sorts of things. I, I can explain what I do on iPad. I think I will use it more and more. Yeah, it does. I think so for it's, it takes for some people, and others it doesn't. I know a lot of people tell me that they love their 11 inch, especially people who travel a lot because the 11 inch MacBook Air, because they can use it on a plane. But I've always felt like you give me a keyboard and an iPad and I'm just fine on an airplane. Well, there is something completely different than using iPad. And once again, David, you explained that there is like these feelings that you, you know, can walk away from your desk and sit on the sofa, right? It's holding your iPad and then you can get into a different mindset and uh, do different things. Yeah. And uh, so, so you're, you're, uh, you're traveling between two different countries. And I, so when you go on the road, are you taking the iPad and the MacBook? Yes, and and uh, in the past, you know, just until recently, I would always like pull out my MacBook and the plane, yeah. and then work on it. And now, just you know, I just prepare my work on um, iPad, and it's so much easier. And you don't need to, you know, squeeze your fifteen-inch uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. computer, <laughs> you know. And or, there or is always the, something to do. Or wait for the guy in front of you to just like jam his chair back <laughs> at some yeah. moment yeah. that you don't expect, or the coffee or whatever. <laughs> You know, somebody I, pa- yeah, passing a yeah. cup of coffee over a keyboard. <laughs> Katie, you know that that crazy luggage I have. You know the pelican, right, the, the non-destructible <laughs> pelican. Yeah, yes. I I sold another one of those. By the way, the last trip I took Guyana Airport because I had it propped up with my feet on it. And he walks up and says, "Where did you get that?" <laughs> They're <laughs> so available gave him on the Amazon. Amazon link. Yeah. I even gave it with my affiliate link. I said, "Heck with this! I'm going to profit." You know, yeah. and uh, but the um, but when I travel, I actually just stow the 15 inch MacBook in the uh, the Pelican and just put it in the overhead, and I'm fine. I don't. I'm good. Uh-huh. Um, the uh, so tell me though, with the iPad, are you using it just like at on the couch at home, or are you bringing it into the classroom with you? No, I not yet. As I said, I I started to use it about months ago, and it was almost like in summer. So, but yeah. I will now start intensive teaching, and I will probably start. I don't see like huge need. Why? Like, why would I use iPad? Like, I mean, in the classroom, 
well, there are different situations. When I'm presenting, I don't see a need to use iPad because you know you can just put your you know notebook on the you know, on the table, connect it, and then and do it. Uh, when I talk to you know students, or like make little diagrams for them, or like sit and you know discuss something, take notes. That's uh, that's when I see a need for a for iPad. Um, because I take notes on iPad, you know, with this, um, uh, you know, styluses, I take much faster. Which stylus do you use? Um, I use the stylus that Katie Floyd recommended recently. <laughs> is it the is it the Evernote uh, yes. stylus? Yes. The job stylus? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, I you must have beautiful handwriting because I cannot. I I use it for highlighting. And I can use it for some chicken scratch notes, but I I have not been very successful for taking very long form handwritten notes. Tell me about that. Are you are you taking long form handwritten notes on your iPad, and and are they readable? And how are you doing that? They are readable by Evernote. I mean, Evernote would search into them, so that it would wow. recognize the words. So are you taking the notes in in penultimate? Penultimate, yes. Ah. And um, well, I also take notes. I take notes like everywhere. But very often, you see, I don't, you know, these notes, the type of notes which I take, you know, in meetings, etc. I, um, it's not the type of notes that I will need like ten years from now. I, I think if you are in a student in a class, you have to take, you know, sort of more structured and detailed notes than I usually take in my meetings. So I, I don't yet vote that this is the best tool. Maybe you actually need to type them. Um, I, but you know, very often I take very light lightweight notes you know combined with drawings and um, well i i think if you're combining drawings then that that absolutely makes a difference so if you're taking more bullet point notes you know a line or two here a line or two there and and then some diagrams then i can i can certainly see where where a penultimate and evernote solution may work for you excellent it's it's really uh, evolving and right now there seems to be this thing going around how the ipad is losing momentum I'm not sure it is. I, I know people don't buy them as often as they buy the phones, but I've seen a lot of people getting quite a bit of work done with an iPad. You know, uh, Katie and Alec, my, in the recent trial, I, I dropped the California Code of Civil Procedure on my Jotnot pen and I destroyed it. So I'm now officially in the market for a stylus. I was going to ask Katie about it today after the show. So, oh, physically, so the book. You dropped the book on your I pen. literally dropped a, it was oh. like three, a three book, inch, right? yeah, three inch thick book on it and there's a little plastic thing on the tip and i just i bent it and it just i said you know what this thing is done so i'm gonna have to get myself a new a stylus so now katie you had given up on the evernote one right you yeah, didn't I've, like it i've picked it back up again it's it, of, of all i've tried it's the best of all i've tried well, I want to take a quick break and talk about a new sponsor for Mac Power users. And this is one that I'm really excited about because it's a product that I use every day, and that is Automatic. Automatic is an auto accessory that talks to your car's onboard computer and uses your smartphone's GPS and data plan to upgrade your car's capabilities. Now, Automatic works with an iPhone 5 and above, Android OS 4.0 and above, and it works with just about any car in the United States with a gasoline engine sold since 1996. So that means that my 1997 Toyota Avalon just got a whole lot smarter. And so 
Automatic can help you keep track of your trips to create a timeline with a detailed display of information about where you've been that week, including how much you drive, where you went, and you'll actually see your miles per gallon for your trips. It even detects fill-ups and tracks the prices of local gas stations so you'll know how much you're really spending. And Automatic gives you feedback on your driving habits, including things like rough braking, rapid acceleration, uh, and speeding. And at the end of the week, we'll calculate a drive score to let you know how you're doing. By the way, I got a 98 this week. Automatic also has a feature called Crash Alert, which can detect many types of serious crashes, and agents from Automatic will attempt to call and report to the local authorities and notify loved ones that you've previously set up that you've been in an accident if you don't respond. Now, you can view all of this information on your phone or on the web at dashboard.automatic.com. They have an API with over 200 developers on it already, and a really cool channel on If This Then That that will allow you to customize endless recipes to plug your automatic data into all kinds of services. But launching on October 27th, which should be right around the time that this show releases, they've got a program called License Plus. And this is a program to allow parents to keep an eye on their teen drivers, but without necessarily being a backseat driver, where parents and teens can come together and set goals, stay in touch, and reward progress for these new drivers. Now, Automatic wants teens to feel comfortable about uh, being a part of this program and having an automatic in their car. Otherwise, they'll just chuck it out the window the first opportunity they get. So they give teens the same kind of privacy and privilege that they would an adult while providing transparency so the drivers and the parents can get to know a little bit about each other's driving habits uh, and how to support each other through this process. So how does this work? If you've got a new driver in your household, they sign up for the program and select a coach. Once the program is installed, it lasts for 160 hours worth of driving, and then it converts just to a regular automatic, and the drivers will earn badges so that they can prove their specific skills. And these can include things that are contextual, they're behavioral, or perhaps relational. And so teens will have access to all of the data on the mobile app, and the parents will be able to see limited information through the website, such as driving events and trips, but only get city-level information, not specific addresses, hard brakes and accelerations, and the teen's overall driving score, and just generally to check in and see how the teen is doing. Both the parent and teen will get weekly email updates, which will hopefully entice them to have a conversation uh, about how their driving is going. So if this all sounds cool, even if you're not a new driver uh, and you just want to use an automatic to spice up your car, uh, check them out over at automatic.com and use the coupon code MACPOWER2014 at store.automatic.com to get 20% off your automatic. I absolutely love mine and I think you will too. Again, that coupon code is MACPOWER2014 and thanks to Automatic for their support of the show. One of the things that you do, one of the first things you said you do as a professor is you teach, you know, you stand in front of people and convey information. So, and, and you had talked about us before the show about you spend actually quite a bit of time considering your, your presentations you give in class. Could you share a little bit about that? Um, yes, I am, um, very interested in professional presentations and um, it started before I started to work in university. I read this great book, which is called Successful Presentations for Dummies, which is um, basically, you know, pre 
pre-computer software contained the ideas of how to do presentations. And since then, I kind of realized that my profession will be to speak uh, before many people, and I tried to make it, you know, better and better. So <clears throat> starting with, you know, this transparencies and then moving on to other, you know, things. Um, I mean, I really think um, people who, like, you know, this everyone who does presentations should first of all read David's book presentations this is this yeah. is the best book written about it and you summarize all ideas i don't know what else <laughs> can i repeat but the, the main idea is that you, you don't have your notes and read them to people you kind of give them notes separately and a lot of teachers they actually make this um you know a habit so that they put the notes onto powerpoint slides and then they read them to students print them out give them to students as lecture notes and that's it that's finished so, I'm yeah, so, to get... so why does the student come to the class at all? At exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's a very good point. And some of them, you know, I even made a small film. I, I, I actually show a person who was so engaged in reading her notes that she turned her back to the audience because that she could like be better focused <laughs> yeah. on reading from her screen. So she's talking to the chalkboard in essence. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then I, I also heard them. Um, you know, a columnist in Financial Times said that there is a new invention in English language. I have some slides to talk to. So, you know, you don't talk to people, yeah. <laughs> you talk yeah. to slides. That's true. <laughs> you know, and I've heard that as well. Yes. Yeah. Now, now do you give the students the slides before the lecture? Well, or me, well, my slides are not that meaningful for students to give them because they contain, you know, a bit like David's slides, like pictures and, you know, flying you know, animations and stuff yeah, like okay. that. Yeah, okay. So what I give them, I give them my outlines, which I produced an Omni Outliner. Okay. Uh, as, um, you know, as a point to which kind of outline the lecture. Or sometimes I'm pretty good and I almost like make a script. I give them a script, which I prepare and script there. So, well, um, you know, I, I wish that you were one of my teachers back in the well, day, because none of them would have done that for me. Well, and if, and if people tell me, you know, send me your PowerPoints, I, you know, I take pleasure in answering that I don't use Microsoft PowerPoint. As much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, or, um, or you send them a picture of a duck or something. Right? <laughs> exactly. <You know? laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and it's pretty, well, I must warn that, that, you know, these ideas, they work very well when you present at conferences. If you present to a classroom, it's kind of more difficult to implement because you do a lot of lectures and, you know, you very often repeat the same thing and, you know, Students can tell you that they want to see something on your slide. Otherwise, they complain that you never told them this. They have to put some yeah. things. And, and you know, you have the same same audience every day, or at least a few times a week. So exactly. So you cannot impress them too much. Yeah. No. I, you know what? I as you're saying it, I'm thinking that's terrifying to me. I don't know how I would deal with that. Right. So, so, you, it's so how do you deal a limited with it? number of tricks right, you can use? <laughs> Well, uh, um, I mean, in, in this teaching, I think uh, teaching is supposed to be at certain points a bit boring, but there are different techniques, different things you can do with the students uh, yeah. to live in it up. And one thing, you know, what you say in your presentations that you should, well, you should tell stories because people remember stories, but you should also try to connect to your students. You should talk to them. I mean, it's not me just talking, you know, we're talking back and forth. And yeah. the slides kind of provide the skeleton of us talking 
So I would, you know, project a picture from Keynote or an animation, then we'd talk for five minutes about it. And everybody would look at the picture. And that, that is a good process. Now, what, one of my tricks when I've got a room full of people is is participation, like even just raising hands, who's had this problem before or something like that. I don't want to derail the, the presentation, but I do want to engage them and know that they're listening to me. <laughs> does that work with students, though? I'm not sure if it would or not. Maybe oh, it, they... it does. You have to, well, <clears throat> you, you have to keep them um, participating because otherwise they will just, you know drift out they are very tired and you know they have to concentrate too much you have to keep the level of energy all the time and also um, they're very good at social well, media as you have already established so you have to yes, worry about if they have computers Twitter. in the classroom yeah then you know the social media are much more attractive than my boring presentations yeah. um yeah but you know i use a lot of uh, techniques to keep the class uh, you know energy in, in the classroom up um which have little to do with with max but keynote, you know, keynote presentations, they help because sometimes, you know, I just put very engaging, you know, animation in the middle and then everybody, you know, starts laughing and then they are back with me again. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I no, can that's, continue that's telling great, my though, boring I mean. stories. <laughs> how, um, how do you, how does your presentation style change when you're, depending on the type of material that you're presenting, because depending on what your subject area is, if, if you're, for example, a a history professor, then, then you're probably going to be able to do more storytelling. But if you're teaching, um, I I don't know, something that's um, more structured, like perhaps, well, everything is structured, but, but maybe more math or something more formulaic where you're trying to impart very specific information or how to solve very specific problems. Um, then that's that's really not something where where it's going to be much more difficult to tell a story because you're you're talking about how to solve a problem or you're you're talking about a formulaic approach or how to do something. So when you get into different aspects, I, I would imagine in in your lectures you have to deal with a little bit of both. Yes, absolutely. That's that's very right. You know, when I came to teaching, I was full of these ideas of storytelling and you know this, how you present and build credibility with the audience and in in the standard teaching a lot of these ideas you know have to be unfortunately you know moderated or discarded uh, because you you have to go through you know structured um difficult you know complicated stuff and it's not all storytelling but fortunately now my area of teaching involves um a lot of these sort of very broad ideas and um uh, you know not so much this dry mathematical you know, stuff. So, but, but I, you know, everyone who is um, uh, very engaged with this presentation then and keynote and storytelling and wants to teach students in a structured program, you know, should really think um, how it can go together and at what point it's appropriate, at what point it is not appropriate. Now, what kind of feedback do you get from the students when you, when you bring this philosophy to the classroom? Because honestly, I've, I've never had a teacher it's been a while, uh, but I never had a teacher that put that, that amount of effort into a lecture. Well, they, they like my uh, presentations. Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I do a lot of, uh, you know, things with, with the students, which, uh, which, you know, they like, and, and I probably do some things which they don't like, 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 tests. I, I, <laughs> well, um, uh, but um, I mean, I think uh, 
the real art of presentation comes not in teaching, comes in, in conferences where you talk to, you know, this is more like, you know, this presentation yeah. which you, David, describe in your, in your book. And that's also much more is at stake then. And, and that's where I fully use the, you know, possibilities of like keynote. And then when I really spent, you know, hours on every slide or more. And, yeah. um, you know, then, then, it, then it comes. And you know what? That, that always shows. It just always shows. I, I was at a presentation recently and you could tell the guy made them, you know, an hour before. Exactly. And, and he was talking like he made them an hour before as well. Exactly. The, um, you said keynote several times. Is that the only application you use for presentation stuff? It's sufficient for me. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, you know, I, I wrote a book on presentations and I spent yes. a lot of time with some of the other apps and I felt like PowerPoint has come a long way since the last time I looked at it seriously. I mean, on the Mac, they've, they've got some nice, some nice features to that. And things like Prezi are very kind of interesting. Yeah. You know, like I like the idea of the big map and for folks listening Prezi is kind of like a web based, but now they also have um, uh, app specific, uh, you know, like local apps as well. But the idea behind a Prezi presentation is, in essence, it's a large canvas, and then the camera swings in to little portions of that canvas, and you can jump around. and It's a it's a nice trick, but um, it really doesn't give me the same set of tools that I I like when I give a presentation. So I haven't really found anything that I think could replace Keynote at this point. It's great for school presentations. So, you know, my, my daughter uses it in her school presentations and because you can run it from the web and it's yeah. somehow, I think it goes very well with, uh, you know, school children way of thinking about, you know, things, how they like pull pictures and they put these pictures together and they write a couple of words here or there and then, you know, zoom in and out. And, uh, um, you know, in this situation it works, it works very yeah. well. It's definitely a different take and it's, there are, there are appropriate uses for it, but I, I don't, it's not, uh, you know, you, you have to pull keynote out of my cold, dead hand at this point. Now, you also talked about to accompany your presentations, you also give your students a handout. And you mentioned that that's an outline where perhaps you go through perhaps more of the technical material. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, um, I find it extremely useful to keep all presentations and specifically, you know, the ones I give to students in Outliner as well as in, um, you know, keynote slides because the slides, they don't contain, uh, you know, much information. They are just supporting, you know, me talking. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about that because I'm, uh, I'm getting ready to give a presentation, actually two presentations next weekend at Milo Fest, um, one on Yosemite and, and one on managing email. And I, if somebody asked me for my slides, my slides would be absolutely useless to them because they're going to contain very little words. Exactly. So, so, so there are several ways I, you know, I'm putting the, you know, actually passing information to people. And one is through, you know, this Omni Outliner. It's very often, you know, the conference organizers, they say, well, send me your PowerPoints. <laughs> I, send, I send them, you know, PDFs of my, you know, outlines. And I say, this is what I'm going to talk about. Or I give it to students. If there is a more elaborate and kind of technical, uh, you know, thing, I, I do Scrivener. So that, you know, imagine in Scrivener, every document corresponds to a slide. And then you, you write short text about it. You can, you know, write long text about it as well. And that would also work. But also to support your presentation, I, I don't do it for lectures, but very often at conferences, you actually need to see these notes. And I'm more and more into putting them in these presenters' notes in Keynote. 
you know, sort of pulling them out of the outline and, you know, parsing them into slides, what I'm going to talk about so that they are shown on my presenter's display, but the audience doesn't see them. And I can check if I, you know, mentioned all the points that I wanted to mention with respect to this slide. And this is good because in Keynote, you can also print out these notes and then give them to the audience. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent use of presenter notes. And I, I've, I've got the, one of my hangups about having a detailed outline at, at a presentation is if you hand it to the audience, even if you just have a traditional slide with bullet points, you know, uh, as soon as you give people those slides and a they handout, start reading them. yeah, they, you, you might as well not be in the room because exactly. they're, they're just going to, no. you'll be on page one and they'll be no. on page 12. And absolutely. And I, I don't know how I would deal with this with students, but I know whenever I like give a talk or even like when I'm in front of a judge, I, if I, if they want the presentation, I do exactly what you did. I, I make a separate presentation that, um, you could do it through presenter notes, or you could just literally make a separate presentation and shrink the artwork down and put it on the screen as, as text. But um, I have a separate one that's got a lot of detail in it about the things I talked about. And you notice I say that in the past tense, because if at all possible, I do, I do not give those things to people until after I, I put the uh, presentation remote down. I do uh, it only if there is a legal requirement. Yeah. And to, to my students, I, I tell them, well, you will receive all the notes. You will receive all the material, but I don't give it to you because I want you to actually take notes because that's yes. the way you think and you remember and you understand. I so think I said, this, is your, this is your learning process. Yeah. So. Well, that's <laughs> good, though. Yeah. But they know they're going to they know they're going to get them afterwards. So I guess there would be some that would say, well, I'll just, you know, get well, it. Well, yeah, there are. Yeah. And this is one thing which they don't actually like. But because, you know, it's hard, you know, you have to like listen and take notes and then everything. So, yeah, <laughs> well, it's some of them such do. a shame <laughs> when there's Facebook and Twitter. Is Facebook exactly. a thing in Europe or is that just an American thing? I don't know. Um, it is. But you know what? I think it's in like more in, in our generation. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, you know, my kids, they, they, they always say, you know, Facebook is Stone Age. Yeah, exactly. Mine they too. use something else which... I don't do it as well. Well, listen, I want to talk about Scrivener and some of this other stuff you're doing, but um, uh, before we do that, I want to talk about our sponsor, the Omni Group, and this seems like the perfect place for this ad spot because uh, I wanted to talk about Omni Outliner from the Omni Group, and this actually wasn't planned, but it works out perfect. So version four, Omni Outliner is down version four on the Mac and version two on the iPad, and this is just you know, quietly matured into the, the greatest outliner ever. Um, the new version has got really powerful tools to allow you to do things with information that you otherwise can't. And the first step of Omni Outliner, I've always felt was to collect. The nice thing is when you're sitting down with someone or trying to organize a presentation, you don't have to have it organized in your head. That's, you know, your brain isn't really wired that way. We just talked to David Allen about that last week, but you could open Omni Outliner and just dump all the bits of data in it that you want. It's got multiple columns. So if you wanted to add additional columns to your data, you can do that. And this is a great way to do the initial sweep through your brain of ideas for a lecture or a customer meeting or a presentation or a novel or whatever you want to organize. Um, and then once you've got it in there, Omni Outliner gives you the ability to structure it 
You can easily organize the data with keystrokes and swipe gestures and all the things you want on iOS and the Mac to make it line up into an outline very quickly and you can move things around. Once you start seeing it visually like that, it really opens up a lot of avenues. Uh, it brings order to chaos. And Omni Outliner is my go-to application to do that all the time. Then once you've got it organized, then you can make it beautiful because uh, Omni Outliner has some wonderful templates built in and it gives you the tools to customize the templates any way you want to. So at the end of the day, you've got all the information collected, you've got it organized, and you've got it looking beautiful, and you can do all this right in on the Outliner. But that's not the end of it, because it's on both the iPad and the Mac, it can sync between the two platforms. And, uh, you know, I, I've been having a little trouble, frankly, with iCloud lately getting documents syncing, but I've never had a problem with Omnipresence, which is the Omni Group's sync platform. It just works. So I've got my outline on my iPad. It just shows up on my Mac and vice versa. Uh, a big success story with Omni Outliner in the Sparks house recently is my daughter. She's been going to school. She's got an iMac at home. She's got a iPad mini in her bag at school, and she outlines as the professor talks and she gets home and it's already on her Mac. It's just a, it's a great way to work. Uh, so go over to the Omni group and check it out. So it's version four of Omni Outliner for the Mac and version two on the iPad. And if you've been struggling with ways to get that information out of your head and get it organized to, to make yourself look better. Uh, Omni Outliner is the perfect way to do that. Uh, Omni group has been a longtime sponsor of the show and we want to thank them and please go check out Omni Outliner. I keep so much in Omni Outliner. Do you? Yeah, it's me too. Me too. It really is. It is the place I start, you know, when I, I'm not sure what I need to do. Yes. And yes, and sometimes, you know, I just get carried away and then I try to write something and, and then I say, well, it doesn't work. Stop, stop. That is the wrong software you opened. <laughs> it's not yet scriven or by word. It is Omni Outliner. Yeah, that, that's true. That or, or keynote, mapping. right? Yeah. Or as you rightly said, you know, you don't start your presentation with opening your keynote and like slides. You have to spend more time in 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 something else, and this something else for me is outliner. Yeah. Well, Katie likes that. I I also use uh, mind mapping sometimes. It just kind of depends on where I'm at, and uh, and because they all support you know OPML, it's very easy to go back and forth between them. But now, now, where does Scrivener fit into all this? Because you've talked about Scrivener in relation to planning a presentation. We had feedback, uh, I don't know, it was about a year ago from a listener who talked about how I remember. He, he has presentation slides as saved as Scrivener projects. And then he just selects whichever ones he wants, which I thought was a pretty good idea, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you always have this... In teaching, you see, as you said, you, you have to repeat your teaching every year, but it's not the same teaching. It's a different one, yeah. so slightly different, but roughly the same. So y- y- there are things which you might forget or there are new things which might appear or, you know, as you lecture, you might just remember, okay, new year, you know, next year I want to do it slightly differently. And then so that for all my courses, I keep outlines where I put these things in, you know, like new ideas on next year. When I want to teach this course, I want to add it here. But for my most complicated courses, which are for me complicated, maybe for students are simple, I keep the same in Scrivener because that there is much more things which I like want to organize. Um, there are actually texts and there are, you know, sometimes some, you know, documents or some pictures. And I just keep them there so that when I plan just before my course, when I prepare my um 
you know, lectures, I'm looking at Scrivener as an organization system. For, yeah, it, um, it, it's really nice because yeah. you get the research and yes, exactly. kind of the outline on the same screen yes. at the same time. Yes. And you can also write, like, you know, if you say, well, I want to say something which is like several connected sentences, so you can type it there. An outliner is as good as Scrivener for that, but Scrivener sort of gives you an idea that you can hold more <laughs> and yeah. longer texts and, you know, and yeah, more more of various resources. And that, is that, you also probably do academic writing in Scrivener as well. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, all my good students, they do the thesis writing in Scrivener. <laughs> and, and we exchange, you know, we actually provide comments and we exchange Scrivener files. So I synchronize them to. Oh, can I talk ideas. about that for a minute? Because sure. that, that is actually, I've always felt like a hole in Scrivener that, you know, it, it, it's, cannot it synchronize, doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have change tracking in it. So it how, does. How, it does. It does. It's just not very developed. You can yeah. actually track changes in Scrivener. There is a command under format. You can you, you click on format, and then there is a, a menu item revision, and you can say track first revision, second revision, third revision, and then the text that you type becomes a different color. However, really? the text that you delete is not like nicely cross out. It just it's just gone. <laughs> so yeah. what I do when I delete a sensitive text, you know, there is a shortcut that you can make strikes through with a red. So you know. it and like for instance with uh, pages or Word where you can accept or reject changes, this just makes you the can, changes. Well, you can also do no. Well, it makes the changes, but you can say that you accept them and then they become a normal text. They kind of change the color. Okay. Well, see, I learned something. I, I do a I, lot of this. Yeah, I correction. think I'm going to get my editor a copy of Scrivener for my books because I do this complicated thing where I put it into pages at the end so we can have that change tracking between us. It's not ideal change tracking, but it it, yeah. it, it does work. But another thing that, that you can do when editing together in Scrivener is that there are these nice icons and status. And for example, you know, it says that, uh, you know, somebody wants me to look at, at this so that you know they change yeah. the color change, and then yeah. i after i looked i changed the color back and then yeah. you know which ones i already looked through so no that makes a lot of sense that makes sense now and what then, about when you're and, and i may be jumping ahead and david feel free to pull me back but what about when you're actually collecting your research because i know a big part of your job is is researching are you collecting bits of research in scrivener or are you doing that elsewhere I try to do that. I very much not recommend it. <laughs> the, the only time when I collect in Scrivener is that when I have an ongoing Scrivener project, for example, I'm writing an article about something, and then I run across this you know, piece of information which is exactly within the topic of this article. Then I might you know, open a Scrivener and put it there to avoid you know, intermediate stages. But, but that is not a very frequent situation. You usually... Uh, find a piece of information, and that's a problem with academic work, which are kind of maybe relevant in the future, maybe not. <laughs> and they are, and what do you do with them? So, what I write on my blog, maybe you know, fifty or sixty percent of of my academic is how do you deal with these bits and pieces of information? How do you you know store them, classify them, you know, capture them, and then you know find them and and finally use them. I think that's always going to be a problem. I, th I think you're you're safe there. Thank you. Yes, I'm good. <laughs> but yeah, but academics for them, the world is kind of much more open in a way because you you're supposed to produce knowledge, but nobody tells you exactly like what knowledge you're supposed to produce. So you yourself decide 
And every time you look at a new piece of information, you, well, can I use it in the future for a lecture or an article or something? And uh, almost always the answer is maybe. And uh, then you have to, you know, store it somehow so that, um, you know, you don't forget about it later. I try to do it in Scrivener because it looks such a perfect system, but it doesn't, it's, it's just too long to open it. Yeah, and, and also it would seem like Scrivener is great for collecting knowledge related to a specific writing project exactly. or lecture you want to give. Exactly. But as a as a bank of Reference, research yes. for stuff where you're not really sure where it's going to fit, I think it would be difficult. Yes. So right, well, let's, how are you let's definitely that? come back to that then. You want you want to go there right now? Why don't we go there right now? Um Yes, we, we can go there right now, yeah. I mean, uh, we, well, um, so it slightly depends what type of information it is. Can I talk about files first? Yeah. Like yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. Sorry. I got ahead. I can help yeah. myself. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about files. Yeah. Cause that's kind of a piece of it. How do you manage? Yes, it is. It is because very often the information comes to you as a form of a file and it can be, you know, an image or, um, uh, like you know or presentation but very often it is a pdf document and it comes you know somebody sends you by email or you find it on the website or you know by other means and then you have to decide what to do and, and you know an average academic would have thousands of these files maybe over ten thousands and um i um i use two systems to handle them and one system which is probably handles most of it is called it's a special software it's called papers um and the papers was developed by a company called macintosh macintosh uh, which uh, now it's owned by a big publishing house called springer and this is this was developed as a pdf file management software and now it does some other functions but what uh, papers uh, can do they can take your pdf file and now they are so smart that they take all PDF files which you put in one directory. I used to use Hazel rules and stuff like that. Now they just pick up everything that you put in one directory. And then they look through it and they identify, you know, there are scientific databases, which, you know, databases of all articles in the world. So that they call these databases, they identify what kind of reference material it is. Then they rename it in a meaningful form. So that there is an author name and well you you can adjust it author name and year and title and then they file it properly for example every all paper written by all papers written by a certain person would be you know in a certain directory and then they allow you to you know browse and read and annotate these pdfs but um what is important for me is that they have this um, shallow file organization system which i can use for my tagging so what, before I save any file, I tag it. Because uh, I, I think that for these reference files, this information, tagging is very important. As, um, you know, David, we had this little discussion about tagging and uh, hierarchical folders by email. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I think, like for me, I decided how to use it. I think that everything which is a project file should be hierarchically stored. Everything which is a reference file should be tagged. And a project file for me is something which you refer to very, very often under a, a 
a limited period of time. So the project has a beginning and the end. And when yes. you work with a project, you will never forget in which folder they are. Like you can put it in, you know, your favorite sidebar, you know, so that you, you can very easily and often frequently, you know, find this. But for reference file, you probably will use them five years from now, three years from now, or maybe not at all. So you will use them rarely, but over a very long period of time. And for them, if you put them in a folder, you will forget in which folder you put them, especially because, you know, one file can belong to several folders. I very often, for example, deal with different countries and I deal with Germany. And then there's something about Germany and something about wind energy. And which file do you put it in, Germany or wind? Yeah. So, but you can put two tags. So everything which I classify as a reference file, I tag, and everything that relates to a particular project, I put in in a project directly. Now that makes a, you- that makes. Let me interrupt for a second there because I just want to stop to kind of soak that in. <laughs> First of all, that that makes a ton of sense to do it that way because that's exactly the problem with with tags. And the benefit is that you can have multiple ones, and and if you can have something like a reference file and you can give it, you don't have to give it two. you can give it five. It doesn't matter, but I'm not clear. Are you doing this inside the papers application? No. no. So no project files. They don't go to papers application. So the project files, I just do like normal people, you know, I have a folder and I put project files. Of course, some of the project files, they may be reference. So for example, you know, I, I work with a student and, you know, we, we do, you know, their thesis and eventually their thesis is published and it becomes a reference. It's just one example. But then I have a Hazel rule so that I go through my project folder before archiving and I tag files that I want to become references. So I just okay, but have a special th- reference file. And then my Hazel picks up those and puts them in my reference file system, which I might use like 10 years from now. And everything else is archived as project. So okay, you're the, the, you're the, manually tagging the files, or or Hazel is tagging the files well, as a reference no, for you? I, no, because I have to decide whether this is a reference file, whether okay. I'm likely to need it in the future. So okay, that I put, part, and I'm I sorry. put several tags on it, and I put one tag which is a reference tag which tells Hazel that it has to be. Yeah, the part I'm files. confused about. The part I'm confused about is is I understand um, the idea of the reference is tagged. As I understand, the the reference files are being stored in the papers application. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so are the tags you're using are you using like yes. Maverick slash Yosemite tags, yes. or are you using yes. papers tags? Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> so here we come to something very interesting. Okay. I when I started to do my system, I I didn't even use papers. Yeah. I would simply tag files, and Hazel would you know just put them away into shallow folder system and i used open meta tags because you know maverick maverick yeah, exist that, okay that's all we had and i was exactly and i was extremely happy when you know that was incorporated officially yeah so i keep using those tags now until very recent version papers would actually store your files in folders on your computer as normal files so you could yeah. find them, you can get to them through papers, but you can also actually get to them through your file system, just search on them. And in the very recent version, you know, in paper three, they decided for iOS compatibility to put them in a special format, in a special bundle, which you can still tag your files and you can still get to them, but Spotlight doesn't see them. So that the only way to get to your file was through paper system. and I. 
I really hate to have two separate keyboard systems, you know, one on Mavericks and one within papers, which also yes. allows. Yeah. So there was a huge discussion, including on Macademic, over 200 entries discussing this issue. But eventually, you know, people proposed a lot of workarounds, but eventually I found a pretty straightforward solution. There is a, a search tool called Foxtrot. It's a very powerful search tool, which actually looks through these bundles and can find all your Maverick tags in, in within these bundles. So that when I use Foxtrot, it would search everything, you know, my NV alt nodes, my PDF files, images, and within these paper bundles and everything that, you know, for example, has a special word or special tag. Uh, uh, so I'm searching that out now. So it's it's traced by CTM development. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I have so, not found any other any other search engine that can do that. So eventually, after a lot of you know trying and hesitation, I bought Foxtrot and closed this problem for me. The um, it, you know that is a it's an interesting kind of you know nerd puzzle because at, at one level you want to keep it simple with a folder system that's transferable to a new device and isn't you know proprietary to papers. Uh, and you want to be able to use those tags because now those tags will show up on iOS as well with the most recent updates. Uh, but at the same time, papers goes through and finds the title and the author and, and it, it does work for you. On it those does files. even more. It does even more. What it does most importantly, and that is why, you know, you almost have to use a system like that is that it allows your citation. That means that when you write something, there is a very simple you know, way you can actually cite your paper. You write in Scrivener or by Word or in whatever text editor in Microsoft Word. You insert a citation key through a very simple shortcut and it puts, you know, a little plain text citation key in your text and then it creates a bibliography out of these citation keys. So I'm sure it's also used in laws, in in legal texts. Yeah. It would always so, be nice if, if papers had the ability to do like an, a mass export where you could export all the PDFs to, you know, a single folder and retain those tags. Uh, what I, well, what, what I do, I do it all the time because you see, I need this ability. I very often ask, you know, can you give me all, you know, scientific articles about a particular topic? Right? And there are probably 15 or 20 on my computers and I do search and then I kind of can see them in Foxtrot and then I just drag them into Dropbox. I say, well, here are your articles. Or if I'm lucky enough to have them somehow organized in papers, because, you know, I have some organization in papers as well. Papers has a very simple export system. You just click on export button and it exports it as, you know, files. Moreover, papers actually allows you to get to your file in Finder. It's a simple, you know, right click on the file. But what you want to have, you want to have this collection of files on specific topics. Yeah, it's funny because we're so close. I mean, when you look at how far we've come with cloud-based file storage and syncing devices between the Mac and the iOS and the PC and Android and whatever platform you want to be in, we, we've come really far, but you run into these problems. And it's like what, it just the, the underlying architecture just doesn't have an answer for you. And it seems to me like it's just going to take another generation before we really, you know, hammer out some of this stuff. And and there are, you know, there are other systems which, you know, competitors to papers, there is something called Sente, 
for example, and bookends, and they actually keep your PDF files in a very plain form on your computer, in addition to creating this database. But they don't have many of the functionalities which I need, which I use in papers. So if you want to use this reference system for your, you know, thesis or scientific work, you can compare papers with other, you know, competitors. Well, you know, we've got a lot more in this outline, and I want to get through it. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna take another quick break though to talk about our sponsor, One Password, and uh, the folks at Agile have been hard at work, and now that Yosemite is out, they have Yosemified. One password. You like that? You know, I don't think that's a word, uh, but okay. I, I just made it up. So, hey, I'll go with it. Uh, so, no, version five is out. And if you're already on version four, it's a free update. If you haven't got in, this is the time to get in. If you, if you don't know about one password, shame on you because it's just the greatest app to protect your security. It creates and stores strong and unique passwords. It's got a multi platform uh, software so you can use on the Mac, the PC, the iPhone, the iPad, Android. And it'll sync all your data over Dropbox and now iCloud, which I'm going to talk about in just a second. So once you put the passwords in on your your Mac, it just shows up on your iPhone, for instance, and they can go and autofill passwords on multiple websites. And it really solves the big problem we have with internet security, where people use one password on multiple websites. And then once the bad guys get that password, they get into all your websites. I mean, if they find out the password you use on password X, then they're going to immediately try that password, you know, at PayPal and iCloud and Amazon and all the places that they can get into your money with. And one password solves that it creates a unique one for each website. So the version five on the Mac is really fantastic. I've been using it for a while now. It um, is a complete re redesign. It looks like a Yosemite app. So they really spent a lot of time getting the, the user interface, right? They support dark mode, you know? So if you want to try this Yosemite dark mode, they, they have that. And they even have uh, the dark mode and the one password word mini, you know, the little thing up in the menu bar. And, you know, if you haven't used the mini application for one password, it goes right in your menu bar and it gives you access to the application. Now is a really good time to try it with this version five, because they've, they've kind of rethought the whole mini interface. It's a lot more intuitive now. You can even anchor an item as its own window. So if you've got something you want to be reading while you're working in a different window, it does that. And if you activate it with the mouse, or the trackpad, it shows up right underneath your mouse or trackpad. But this is the, the clever part. If you activate it with a keyboard shortcut, it shows up in the middle of the screen, just like the Yosemite Spotlight does. Uh, and by the way, that's that keyboard shortcut, the the, the built-in one always conflicts with me because I use LaunchBar. But if you, I have it now set Control-Option-Command-P. If you get that in your head and you start using that, you will get in 1Password so much faster that way. So check out the mini, uh, the 1Password mini thing that goes up in the menu bar. It's really great now. And they support iCloud uh, with this big update. And the iCloud support is better than ever. Uh, it does require the Mac App Store version, but it's faster and it's better. It's using CloudKit, which is the most modern uh, iCloud technologies Apple has. And if you've got iOS 8 and Yosemite, uh, setting up that iCloud drive for syncing is just going to be great. Uh, they also added Wi-Fi sync for your attachments. So now if you want to keep your stuff off of the internet and you just want to sync by Wi-Fi, you can get your attachments now. So that's really great. Like I said, it's a free upgrade for version four owners and it's on sale for new buyers. So if you want to get in and it, it's on sale right now, so go in and check it out. One password. Again, it's a longtime sponsor of our show. Great application. If you're already using one password, find someone in your life that needs it and go teach them about it. Now's a really good time with these new versions. Thanks one password for supporting the show. 
we've we've talked a little bit about kind of your long form academic writing and and how you do that in Scrivener and and how the research piece comes in, and you started to touch on note taking a little bit with how you do that with penultimate and, and the Evernote jot touch, but but what about more of your your short term writing and and your note taking workflows? Um, what what type of tools are you are you using for that? And 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 if there's more to it, I, I'm I'm kind of fascinated about this uh, this note taking w- workflow that you're you're using with with the stylus and Evernote? Well, there are different types of notes, same as files, and, and I gave up a bit to like, develop one system that would handle all types of notes. So I um, I used a lot uh, NVALT. That was my first note-taking uh, system, and I still use it. Um, however, uh, I recently started to use much more um, software called U- Ulysses. There is now Ulysses 3. Yeah, Ulysses. Ulysses. Yeah, it's, Sorry. Yeah, it's very <laughs> you, good. You have to edit it out. <laughs> hey, that's okay. Ulysses. <laughs> you speak English pretty yeah, well yeah. compared well, I know to the way to, I speak I know any how other to write language. It. <laughs> Ulysses, yeah. So uh, Ulysses is very good for hierarchically organized nodes. And as same as with files, if your notes are about projects, it probably makes most sense to hierarchically organize them. And Ulysses is, is great for it. It takes notes in Markdown and it can very easily convert them into HTML or RTF or PDF. And um, very often, you know, I take a note and then I, for example, email is a PDF. So this Ulysses is great for meeting minutes. When I listen to students, I take notes on the presentations or when I review papers, you know, I I do reviews in this Ulysses. It's kind of this not very creative writing, which has to be hierarchically structured and filed. And then you can find all your notes in the relative folder. It's very easy to classify them. Ulysses to me has always been the application that falls halfway between Scrivener and a basic text editor. It it gives you some structure, but doesn't give you quite as much power. And it's, it's just gorgeous. They, the design is wonderful. And, you know, they're working with Brett Terpstra, uh, who's on our show quite often and and they've come up with a new file format called text bundle that you know Brett and these guys at Ulysses have been working on which I I am watching very carefully because I think it's going to be uh, it's going to give you the advantage of having your files in text but also give you some formatting and maybe some tr- change tracking and other features that we've wanted with text files for some time so this is an app to watch now can I one, say a couple of okay go ahead. yeah I'm sorry I, I jumped on you please please I, I wanted to, to add uh, two more things about Ulysses once it can read notes from so-called external sources. So I actually have all my NVALT notes in Ulysses. They are kind of read from this NVALT folder, which is great. So now I have all my notes in, in the same kind of application, even though I know that NVALT, they are more like these reference notes, which are just in one long list, and Ulysses is hierarchically organized. Now, Ulysses also allows you to tag your notes, and when you tag them in these external forces, these are... Mavericks tags, which is extremely important for me because, you know, I want to find my notes together with my PDF files when I'm searching for something. So that these two advances make Ulysses very, you know, good not taken app for various purposes. It doesn't have an iOS counterpart yet. Well, so they, ha- you, has, mm-hmm. they have an app called Daedalus. Yes, uh, I have it. D-A-E-D-E-L-O-U-S, I believe. I'm not sure, but the, or maybe just U-S, but 
and it does sync with with Ulysses, but not in the way I would like it to, no. frankly. No, I understand yeah. why. I think they need to make something for the iPad or even the iPhone now with these big screens that really gives you the Ulysses experience on those devices. That that would be pretty nice. I, I'm, I, I'm like you, though. I'm really getting into lately tagging text files and figuring out how to make that work. I also um, use EndNote. Oh, Evernote. And uh, I tried to use Evernote before I even switched to Mac. And at that time, it was not, you know, like very attractive. And then recently, I'm, you know, restarting to use it. And what I decided is that I will give it a very good trial, keeping all my personal stuff in Evernote, and then see whether it's good for, you know, academic, professional stuff. So sometimes just for the fun of it, I put some of the um, academic notes in Evernote to see how easy it will be to, you know, use them later. Evernote is great because it captures everything so easy. There is nothing else that captures, you know, things so easily as Evernote. Are you taking your personal notes in Evernote or are you just well, taking them and then saving them into Evernote? No, no, no. I'm taking them in Evernote, but also I'm, you know, capturing uh, scanned documents and, uh, you know, pictures from the garden and, you know, stuff like that in Evernote with little notes when it was taken and what kind of plant it is. And um, So I keep all my, you know, all organization of my personal notes is now in Evernote, you know, travel, um, stuff like that bills telephony so but but i'm not quite yet sure that it would work for my academic work but I'm all of them with it yeah all of the notes that you're taking with penultimate with that stylus ultimately get synced to evernote yes, exactly. what happens yeah. what what do you do you then take them out of evernote and put I them somewhere them. else or? no i i process them and i put them in you know omnifocus in my other systems and in uh, in evernote they just kind of hang into this archive so far so i'm not I'm not using it very, you know, for, very intensely for my professional work. Uh, you know, we we've heard from a lot if of. That makes uh, sense. <laughs> no, it, it does, and we've heard a lot from a lot of academics uh, as we've done these shows for a few years now. And you know, when I think about it, they always write in to say that they're using DevonThink or Papers or some type of research tool. I've never heard someone who's you know a, a professionally writing academic and lecturer who's using Evernote kind of as their reference system. Are you, do you, do you recall ever hearing someone say that, Katie? I don't think we've no, had someone. I don't think so. Yeah, I guess often it's... use, they take the notes, they often take notes in Evernote that I know. Yeah. But you, you really explain, you know, the advantage of papers in a way that I didn't understand before, but you know, when, you know, publisher perish, as they say, you've got a, you need a tool that can help you get that stuff done faster. Mm-hmm. And you need bibliographically adjusted software. And then there is a whole publishing industry. So it is now owned by a publishing house. So it's integrated with all these, you know, databases and all these copyright access systems and works really well. For example, when I'm in my university, it kind of knows that I'm on the university network and the university buys access to all these PDFs so that I can download them directly into my system with just one click of a button from papers. So it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I, I think back to some of my favorite professors um, in my college years and I would go in their office and they just have books lining the walls and filed cabinets full of copied articles. And now you guys just carry all that stuff on your, on your 15 inch MacBook pro 
Almost. I'm now in a big project. I want to make my office, you know, paperless because exactly as you say, you know, my office now looks like halfway. It looks like a bit this old professor's office with a lot of, you know, this. And I say, why would I keep it? I will never find anything there, you know, in these filing cabinets and this, you know, cardboard boxes with printed articles. So I'm taking them actually. I have a project. I'm taking each printed article, then I'm locating it in papers, downloading it, and then yeah. recycling. <laughs> Or get yourself a scan snap too. Maybe you need well, a scan snap. I have a I have a scan snap. It's actually faster to you know for most academic literature to find it in you know repository and download. Yeah, but, it's all but probably if, if it is not in. if it is not published, then I yes I put it in a scan snap. Yeah. Yeah. Is that true for books too? Is it easy to get no, access to? Well, the books you can get electronic books, but the books is not. It's not as easy to get them into this this system. You, uh, I mean, academic electronic books, they are still figuring out. It's not like iBooks where you can buy them and keep them. You can yeah. loan them so that they will be available for three days on your computer. But, you know. Interesting. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your use of the notebook app, because that's something we've touched on a bit on Mac Power users, but have never really dived in depth. Uh, but before we do, I want to take a quick break and talk about our last sponsor for this episode, and that is our friends over at Squarespace. Now, you've heard us talk about Squarespace before, but we've got big news now. They have just come out with a new version of Squarespace, Squarespace 7. And with Squarespace 7, they've made everything simpler and easy to use while still retaining all of the power and complexity of the Squarespace platform that you already know and love. Squarespace 7 refines all of the powerful features from Squarespace 6 into one seamless unified experience. Uh, they've uncluttered your workspace and simplified the whole website making process by letting you add content and customize your design all in one window now. So you're going to spend a lot less time building your website and more time doing what you love, whether that be blogging, whether it be photography, or any other thing that you do with your Squarespace website, you're going to be able to spend more time doing it. And for a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code MPU to let them know that we sent you. Now there's some great new features in Squarespace 7 like cover pages. So here's how those work. Sometimes you just need a simple page to communicate your personal brand or promote a new product. Maybe you've got a new book. Maybe you've got a new website that's launching or coming soon. Maybe you've got a new album or something that you want to promote. With cover pages, they let you get all of the power of Squarespace on one single beautiful page. Squarespace has also partnered with Getty Images to bring you Getty Images integration right inside your Squarespace page. This means that you're going to have access to over 40 million professional stock photographs that ordinarily could cost you hundreds and sometimes even thousands of dollars per image, but now they're available for just $10 an image to Squarespace customers. They've also got these neat new tastemaker templates, which Squarespace is working with the hottest musicians, artists, architects, and chefs to help develop new templates that cater to each profession. Use the same designs as some of the world's most influential people on your very own sites and then customize them to make them your own. So if this sounds like something you might be interested in, you could get started with your free trial, no credit card required, and start building your website today. And when you sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code MPU to get 10% off and show your support for Mac Power users. So thank you to Squarespace for their continued support of 5x5 and Mac Power users. And don't forget that a better web starts with your website and Squarespace. Okay. Well, I also use some, 
another um, software which you can you know consider is not taken and i started to use it recently and i i, I like it quite a lot it's circus Pony's notebook yeah that's a good and, application and i i recently classified it you know in my system I, I think of it as a collection of outlines you know put together in one place so i mean for omni outliner it's great to think about a project or something but then you know you think you create an outline you have to save it somewhere then it becomes somewhere you know in your file and you know another outline in another place well this circus ponies notebook i have all my kind of thinking in one place and it's not as complicated thinking as an omni outliner where you know i plan a lecture but you know i have several projects running and they are not at the level of next actions yet but i want just to put some thoughts about these projects and then i put them in you know this outline hierarchical format and i can see all of them together in in you know in circus ponies notebooks you know we've had we've had a lot of people write us about circus ponies notebook especially in the academic setting perhaps more on the student side though than we have on the on the professor side can, can you just give us a little bit of an overview and, and talk a little bit about what notebook is and and the types of things that it can do so people can have an idea of, of the types of things they can use it for Right. Well, I think the inspiration for this notebook was this old-fashioned, you know, real notebook with little, you know, there was organizers, they were called, with this little colorful tabs and a table of content in the beginning and the index at the end. And then you can, you know, turn the pages and write something on each page. So it's a collection of these pages. But these pages, they can be, you know, they can contain different information. They can contain, you know, plain text. They can contain little tables, little images etc. And they can contain outlines, which is very important for me. Like if you have certain structured thoughts, you can put on them. These pages can be organized in so-called dividers. Like, you know, once again, think of an old uh, organizer, you know, what they call file facts. Yeah. File, file facts, yeah, organizer. Telefax, yeah. So, so that's precisely this organizer. You put these little dividers, you know, along different areas, you give different colors to your pages and stuff like that. Um, and then um, I think that's that's about it. You can all uh, for for the notebook. They also have this automatic indexing capacity. For example, if I you know I can find all my notes which mention Katie or which mention you know Macademic or MacPow users or internet address, something like that. So how I use it that sometimes you know certain thoughts come to my head which I don't know how to classify. It's it's not yet. Um, like you know an action item for omnifocus and it's not you know a reference material or something but i know it belongs to a certain project so i have you know pages in this notebooks which are my projects and then i would just type it in and then i will look at this project and i will decide what to do with it it's yeah. like you would you know you would write on a piece of paper but this of course it is digital so it, it stays with you yeah, in this case, the note, the name of the application truly is descriptive. It, it is like an old notebook that you carried around. And, and the guy behind it is Jason Adams. I met him at Macworld years ago, and Jason goes all the way back to Next. I mean, he's he's like, he's, you know, he's the real deal for a Mac programmer. And they have, I believe they still have an iPad version as well that syncs pretty well. So that's something you want to check out as well if you get into a notebook. Yeah, possibly. I, I wasn't not able to easily find iOS version. You can also add reminders. You can actually do, I mean, there are people who run the whole GTD, the whole kind of life on, on, on these notebooks because it has so many possibilities. 
uh, which uh, many of them I, I haven't explored yet. But for me, it's enough. It pays off just to keep this kind of uh, organized outlines of various thoughts on various methods. Yeah, and it auto creates an index, which is it really does. nice. And then, kind of moving on to a, a different topic, how about you know just outside of the the day to day lecturing and researching? You probably have longer term tasks and longer term projects and things that you have to do for semester to semester to to you know create you know, papers or projects or books or whatever it is that you happen to be working on. How how do you manage all of those things that perhaps aren't so repetitive that you just have them already on autopilot? Um, well, f f these projects for me, they're mostly writing. I um, I write articles very often with like other colleagues, well, always with other colleagues and uh, very often with, with students. Um, so, so my blog is very much about writing because writing is academic writing is a difficult psychological process, and it also involves you know certain software. And what I try to explain that you know some software helps you to create better writing, and 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 some software kind of impedes it. So very often I um, start writing with, with outliner. And, and I'm quite adamant that it, it should start with, a, with an outline. An office outliner is a very good tool to do that. But then the first, the very first draft, which I produce is very often in byword, because it has this kind of beautiful, you know, layout, and you can make it very, very non-destructive, and you cannot fiddle with a lot of, you know, icons and the tools and stuff like that. So what, what I call the first draft is very often a byword draft. And then it, it, if the writing is complex, of course, it goes into Scrivener where you can, you know, rearrange things. So the second draft is very much as, you know, deleting duplications and rearranging and connecting different pieces. And then, you know, when you, you have final stages of writing, it's very often when publisher is involved and stuff, then you have to do it in Microsoft Word. Uh, but I, you know, I lived without Microsoft Word for more than half a year. I, I only used pages. And it worked. Nobody noticed that I didn't have Microsoft Word. <laughs> so, I think it depends on the formatting, you know, because like, yeah. so you would write it in pages and export it as Word and send it off to the exactly. publisher. Exactly. Yeah. Or or they would send me a Word file and I would open it in pages. Yeah. But what what's important that you can survive without yeah, uh, Microsoft and it, Word. It, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you can too. And I think a lot more people can than think they can because you assume that, you know, that format is going to be high. Now, I will also state that I don't think uh, you know, a hundred percent compatibility with Microsoft Word formatting is number one on the list of items at the Pages team. I don't think that's the very first thing they th wake up thinking about and the last thing they go to sleep thinking about. But um, like in the legal profession, it's hard because we have um, pleadings are formed so differently and there's lines and numbers and there's there's a lot of stuff involved and a lot of times in between pages and Word, something goes wrong. But for, you know, a standard paper that doesn't have that wacky formatting, I think a lot of times you can get away with it. Right. But I, I also like Microsoft Word, especially recent versions. I, I think I wish people would know how to manage it better because even in Microsoft Word, they don't use, you know, most important features. 
Yeah, like uh, like uh, headings and and exactly, styles, styles and and, yeah. and and it has great tools for table tables formatting and they, you know people don't use it and sections and you know head you know footers and stuff like that. So um, so that's my writing uh, workflow. And um, uh, well, another system which I use and I think there are not many academics who use it. Right? So I would share it. I use Daylight. Which, yeah. Well, everything I use, I heard on your show, right? Yeah. <laughs> that one as well. Daylight's a good, good app. <laughs> but, uh, but you didn't talk that much about Daylight, and I got interested because it was mentioned by someone who runs a small business. And, and very often the work of a, a professor is like just very small business because you work you know, with a few colleagues or you work pretty isolated on your own you know, projects. And, I, I think um, it was Rod Roddenberry who did that. Yeah, first it is yeah. possible. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Victor Medina uses it too. So, yeah. and and I got interested in the concept of you know software which is designed for this just above personal, yeah, just for a few people, the small business. So you know, I played with it and eventually I installed it. And I I don't use all of its features, but I use it a lot for contact management because it is originally a CRM, and it you know conk what's called customer resource management and most of its powerful features are on this crm type and academics need a lot of contact management because you know we have our students and then we have alumni we have our peers and publishers and competitors and colleagues and funders and uh, basically our success is very much dependent on how well we keep in touch with all these people and you know explain what we are doing and learn what they are doing etc so you need to have a powerful contact management system and you know existing uh, apple contacts doesn't um, doesn't have all these features so i use daylight which allows you to uh, specify relationship between you know people companies and projects like for example i can say i can have a list of all my co-authors because every person who I enter, you know, you say that, well, there is this person and then there is this project and he is a co-author of this, in this project. Or more interesting, I, I have a list of people whom I cite in my papers. So, you know, once again, I just put this little tack on the person that, you know, she is cited in this, you know, paper of mine in this project. So you, you define what relationship is and who relates to what, who relates to whom. One person can relate to several companies. One person can be, you know, an alumni of this course and at the same time, you know, an employee of this company and a past employee of another company. So you can immediately see these connections. After you've created all these connections, you can generate your smart lists of people. And for example, when I finish writing a paper and I want to inform people who are cited there, because it's important for academics to be cited, that, hey, I, I recently cited you in my paper. And Daylight gives me a list of these people, you know, just with a click of a button. And then it can generate an email, which is a, a merged email. So it's not like impersonal. It would say, dear David, you know, yeah. let me know that. And of course, you know, you can also use text expander for such purposes, but, um, but generating this list, I find very, very, you know, useful in daylight. Plus it is a project management. It is a simple project management software. Like, you know, you can keep track of at which stages are all your, for example, writing, you know, projects or teaching projects. It has pipelines for projects so that they move from one stage to another, you know, from the first draft to, you know, proofs and reviews and, you know, dissemination, etc. So I, um, um, I think it is probably worth trying. 
one disadvantage of it is that it, it is quite expensive. Yeah. But, you know, it, it really is a jack of all trades and, you know, it combines a lot of tools into one. And if you can work with those tools, it's pretty nice. I mean, it's uh, the developers. When, these are people that Katie and I have met as well. And they're can, can real classy. Yeah, they they really are passionate about trying to be the premier CRM, you know, native app on the Mac. And I think they deliver. Yes, absolutely. But I, I've never heard of anyone using Daylight in that way before I've, you know, I've always thought of it as a small business app and it's kind of fascinating listening to you say that. I, I think that's an impressive use. So I, I, I you know, I tried its earlier version and what I didn't like then that they couldn't, um, they didn't talk to iCloud. So you would have one set of contacts in your contacts app and another in daylight and it just wouldn't work for me. But now there is this very good integration. So all the contacts say, can be shown also in your co-book or, you know, your contacts and you can work there or they can be shown in daylight. So I tend to keep my personal or, you know, personal contacts in iCloud and they are shown on my telephone, but I have the thousands of contacts, which are my professional contacts and they are in daylight. I can see them through my contacts app, but, you know, I don't need to. Yeah. And they've come a long way with, you know, iOS support. And mm-hmm. I mean, that, that application has continued to mature. Yeah. Well, Alec, I know we're running a little bit short on time because we're, we're right at about the hour and a half mark. But, you know, we always like to wrap these up with, with some picks. And uh, I think we've, we, we've covered quite a lot in this episode. But I guess I would ask you, you know, maybe to do something a little different for, for your pick section. You know, a, as a professor, you know, seeing, seeing this kind of from multiple sides, both um, your side of doing things and, and as well as having the benefit of interacting with your students and, and seeing how they're working with things. You know, can, can you maybe give some suggestions both for academics and, and, and professors, uh, as, as well as for students of, you know, maybe what are your, your top couple of apps for, for people in both categories? If they're going to try to expand a few more things that would, would make them more productive, what should be the top of their list to try? Hmm. It's always very difficult for me to, you know, prioritize, you know, on my, um, let me start with this on, on, uh, on the blog, I made a list, you know, because I was asked by one reader, okay, well, so I have a new Mac, what should I install? And I made a list of 25 apps without which you cannot do anything in <laughs> academic work. Right. So, which is like my idea of prioritization. And I said that I really selected them. So, um, and then people of course argued that, you know, there are more, but, and then there are less, but if you want to start, like, I think, uh, the sort of absolutely no regret applications are, um, first of all, text expander. <laughs> I, yeah. mean, I can, can't emphasize it more, but you, you talked about it quite a lot. Yeah. But that, that, that helps a lot in teaching work, you know, recommendation letters, student feedback, everything you can do so much faster with text expander. Then Scrivener, you know, no serious academic text can be written without Scrivener. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, uh, I really recommend, and, and it's not, not very expensive and it's quite easy to get to use for both students and professors. 
Um, yeah, it's then, like the first time you use Scrivener, it's like you can't understand how you ever got anything written of substance ever before in your life. That was exactly. my experience. <laughs> exactly. So if your work involves producing written pro- products, you know, you use Scrivener. That was the first Mac app I installed. And um, then the, the third one, I'm very tempted to say Omni Outliner. Um, because you or like another outlining utility, but I don't know of anyone that good. It will kind of structure your brain in the right way to, uh, you know, to think of, well, everything from course plans to taking notes on the lecture to actually preparing a lecture for professors, preparing a presentation, uh, you know, planning a project. There are so many applications of uh, Omni Outliner. Uh, you'll find you yourself using it every day. Uh, and then I'm just looking through this list of these 25 applications, which I put in. Um, and you can find that whole list at macademic.org. Yes, it's on the, yes, I pinned it to the top of, of all my blog posts because um, that has it all. Yeah, well, it, it, there, there is there is a lot of other stuff. Um, yeah, I think this three, I would say, try to start with this three. And I'm not mentioning one password, guys. This is <laughs> your job to mention it. But I find yeah. a lot of my colleagues, this is actually the first thing which they do. They, I cannot sell them on anything else, but on one password I can. After they lose a couple of passwords, you know. <laughs> cannot get. Yeah, well, especially with the way the world is these days. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that is that is the easiest uh, to, to recommend. Alec, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show. We, uh, we've been, Katie and I were both talking about, you know, we want to get a professor and we both immediately said, academic. I mean, there's no question, <laughs> you know, and uh, this, the, boy, there's a lot of content in today's show. So everybody listening to it, this one may be one you want to go back and listen to again. But uh, we, we so much appreciate you coming in. Thank you so much. It was such a privilege. Yeah. And, and such you- a great show. Well, thank you. You mentioned your website. Uh, tell people just all the places that they can find you. Is it just the website or, or where, where should we send people for more information? Well, I also have um, a Twitter account, but basically the website is a good um, entry point. And then you can you know, proceed from there. The academic is also on Twitter. There is a Twitter, um, Twitter account with this name. All right. So go to macademic.org and you can find the list and uh and follow up there, there's also a really good community at that site i see a lot of comments on the post and just lots of great writing workflows too if, if you're a student or a professor or anybody interested in these subjects you should go check it out you can also find the show notes at uh, macpowerusers.com uh, we'll have it right up there and you can find it at five by five dot tv slash mpu slash 221 we'll have all the show notes for the show uh if you got feedback send it to feedback at macpowerusers.com and uh, where can you find us on twitter katie well you can find david on twitter at max barkey you can find me on twitter at katie floyd and the show is at mac power users so that's going to wrap up another episode for us thank you alan for joining us and thank you to all of you and we'll see you next week